scary. I don't know that I want to trust. I don't know that I can trust a father who was like my father and then make him all powerful. Yikes. And so we talked about last week, what does it mean for God to be father? What does it mean for God to be almighty and to believe that? And we, we talked about that God's power turns worldly power upside down. It actually turns it right side up in a world that's all upside down. We've gotten power upside down and Jesus reveals what God is really like. We see most clearly what God is like in the face and the work and the life of Jesus, most specifically on the cross. And we see power as it was meant to be. Power is meant to be inhabited. And that power is creative, not coercive. That power is, is life-giving, not life-destroying. That power is strong to save. That power is strong to lift up and to bring forth life and to heal and to restore all that destructive power has broken. And as, as that has wreaked havoc on the world, God is at work and on the move to bring back, bring us back to ourselves, bring the world back to where and how it was intended to be. So God's power is life. And it's a creative force, as Shannon just said. The scripture we said last week says, it often describes God's power as a nursing mother, sustaining the life of an infant. Now that's power, that's power, but it's not power as we typically conceive of it, but that's power to keep a life living, to nurture and nurture, nourish. And so today, right, if God's power is creative, we see that thought continued. God, the Father Almighty, creator, creator of heaven and earth, the power of God is a creative force that brings life and brings communion with God's self. So we're immediately drawn to the application of God's power, his almightiness. And what does he do with his might? God creates. God brings life. And God makes space for living things to live and breathe and flourish. He sets up, right, this garden of Eden, this garden of flourishing where humanity and all creation can, can be in God's presence. This, this is a slide. Uh, chapter, uh, Genesis 1, 1. Go back to the beginning. Yeah? Maybe? Yes. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So why did God create? Let's declare some good news here. Go to that good news statement there. Man. All right. So in creating the world, this is what God's power is used for. In creating the world, God is making room for you and all creation to experience the abundant life in relationship with the giver of life. So in creation, God is made known to be uh, uh, not only an all-powerful God, but his power has the purpose of creating and making space to share God's love and life. He makes room for all things created to experience and to share in his abundant life. So a couple of things. If we're going to say God is creator, this tells us something about what God is like. And this, we could go, we could spend weeks and months and years um, talking about this. Remember, these are mysteries that um, the church has been exploring for years and years. And so I'm just going to be able to touch on a couple. But what does it say about God? First, it's, and this should be a slide. 
God is, number one, if he's creator and everything else is creature, God is distinct from God's creation. He is different from the created world. And so God is in the beginning before anything exists, and God speaks the world into existence. Do we have that slide? Yes. Next one. And so, if God is completely other than the created world, right, then everything else is in existence is a creature, right? God is creator. Then God, this is one thing that where we get it a little off. God is not in everything. You can't equate God with anything else, with the created world. So sometimes we want to say God is that tree and the rock and he's in, and you know, and we start singing Pocahontas songs, right? Have you ever heard the wolf cry to the full corn moon or something like that? And, and we get this kind of panthe- pantheistic um, idea that God is, God is the creation. But what, what, what historic Christianity has taught and what we've believed since the beginning is that no, God is utterly, completely distinct. And this is what actually the idea of holiness is not just about moral purity, but it's completely about complete otherness. For God to be holy is to be other, distinct, different from the created world. And so God is not in the rocks and the trees, but God is everywhere with every and near every rock and tree. Like it's very close, but he's distinct. He's with the rocks and the trees and the rivers and you and me, wherever we may be, wherever we may go, there's no place where we are apart from God's presence. But that, that being near God is different than being God, right? Being God. So he, God is distinct. He's completely other. He's completely transcendent over and beyond the created world. And, and he's Lord of everything. Lord of all. Lord of all. And so God is completely other. Next thing that we learn, this completely other God is also radically generous and welcoming to that which is other, right? God is radically generous. We see right from the beginning, why does God create? God had no, God did not need to create anything. God had no need within God's self, and God had no obligation from outside God's self to create the world. Like, he wasn't compelled by, he wasn't forced. No one convinced God to do anything. God, so why did God do it? If he didn't need to, and he didn't have to, then why did God create? Because God wanted to. And because it's part of God's nature to create. God, as a God of love, living in perfect loving communion, God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three in one, perfect loving communion, creates and makes room and expands the amount of creatures that can experience this life and share in this life. So God is incredibly welcoming, hospitable, and generous. I just love this idea. That we exist because God wants us to exist. We exist because God wants to be with us, be near us, share life with us. God, we exist because God is love and love must be shared. Like love can't exist in a vacuum and love must grow. And so 
We are because God is love and love must expand. Love must be shared. Love must welcome the other into that life of love. Isn't that nice? Isn't that beautiful? <laughs> I mean, I really believe it is. This just sets, this sets and frames God right from the beginning in the right perspective. We don't have a distant deity that's making us slaves, making slaves for himself, making servants for himself. This is a joyful, fully self-sufficient, loving God who creates out of love a world to be loved and to return love, to share in love, to share in life. So God, let's get that good news statement up there, George. God in creating the world, he's making room for you all and all creation to have abundant life in relationship with the very giver of life. You've been given life to share in life and to be brought back to life by your creator. All right, so that's what we learn. This is some things we learn about God. God is completely other. But in his in God's otherness, he welcomes radically and brings towards himself. He creates another so that he can share his God's self with creation. He wants us to be in communion. All right, what does it say about us? It says that God's creation is good. If a good God creates a world and pronounces it good, then it's good. And so sometimes we have gotten this wrong in the church and human beings throughout history. We're always trying to like, for some reason, like bring down the flesh and bone, like pinch yourself a little bit, you know, hit yourself, take a selfie real quick, look at yourself and your phone, right? You, you are, you are good. God created you good. You have been pronounced good. And we constantly want to say that the material world is evil. The the ground and the the trees and and our our bodies, we want to, we're constantly despising our bodies, hiding our bodies, abusing our bodies, and abusing um, the bodies of others. We're constantly suspicious of desire. We're, we're consciously like, uh, I shouldn't want things that taste good, right? We're suspicious of good food, of good sex, of good art, of, of, and we even name these things as sinful or frivolous or they don't matter. They don't really belong in God's good world. But God created all these things and God pronounced them good. So it's okay if you like a good meal. It's okay if you enjoy the beauty of creation. It's okay that you take care of your body and others' body and that you feed yourself good food. Like, it's, it's okay. We don't have to suppress these things. We don't have to be ashamed of these things. And so saying that we believe that God is maker of heaven and earth is to say that the material world, the very stuff of creation, your body, pleasure, the taste of a good meal, beauty, the rocks, rivers, trees, all of these things were made by a good God and pronounced as good for good, for our enjoyment, for God's glory. God saw all that he made and said it was good. Psalm 19, that's another uh, slide up there, buddy. The heavens declare the glory 
of God. Right now, God says that the creation, the leaves dancing in the wind, the birds chirping, the wind, the breeze, the oceans crashing, this all declares the glory of God. It speaks of God's goodness and praises God. So the material is good. It's not, material world is good, not something to be escaped, but something to be embraced and enjoyed. And this is the purpose, one purpose of the Sabbath. What happens on the seventh day that God made the earth? What's he, what's God do? He rests and he invites others to enjoy with him all that he's made. He says, it is good. So the Sabbath isn't about like, just like, Closing yourself in a prayer closet and just being like, oh, God, you know, uh, help me not to think about the world. It's actually to jump into the world and say, hey, let's have a good meal in the fellowship of people. And let's, let's enjoy. Let's pause and remember and reflect and enjoy the good world that a good God made for our enjoyment. It's good. All right, this is related. And this is the last point here that we, can, we have time for. But creation is good, and creation, including you, is wanted and made from love, by love, for love. Creation, including you, is wanted and was made by love, from love, and for love. You are loved, right? Can you hear that? Sometimes we forget because we think we have to, like... We have to be something that we're not in order to be loved. We have to be lovely to be loved. But God, his gaze is on us and God created us and God wants us, desires us, wants to be with us, wants to welcome us, wants to share light with us. Can I share a smart guy quote with you real quick? Here's a smart guy. Give me the the slide there. All right, if you can see it, I'll try to get out of the way. The grace of God, this smart guy says, the grace of God did not first become active in the calling of Abraham or in the sending of Jesus. In the act of creation, God already manifests the self-communicating, other-affirming, communion-forming love that defines God's eternal triune reality. And that is decisively disclosed in the ministry and sacrificial death of Jesus Christ already. Do I have that? Oh, that's it. Okay. That's all I did. Sorry. I'm reading extra. God is already before Jesus. God's character and nature was other affirming communion, creating love. He wants to be known and he wants to know you. You are wanted and cherished. All right. And so this is all related to not only our beginning, God creating us, but our value and our worth and our, and our wantedness is not only in God creating us, but it's also in God's continued commitment to costly love of us. Like he continues to love us despite ourselves. God continues to move in the world and make room to be known. God continues at very cost to God's self to bring healing and restoration 
and hope. And so our belovedness isn't just some far point in the, in, in, in the beginning of our lives where God like decided us to be, to exist, but our belovedness is continually proven every moment as he sustains us, as he dies for us, as he works to bring us into relationship with himself. So we are loved. We are God's good creation wanted from the beginning of time. So having all said that, let me get some feedback. I got some ideas, but as we end here and we move towards our meal, some sharing and tasting some good food and being with one another, what are some of, how might we live in light of what we've just talked about? What if creation is good and a good God made a good world, then how might we live in light of that? What implications for our life might be the result? How might that change the way we live and breathe and move in the world? And I hear children coming and running to their parents, and I just heard, Dada, Dada. And I think that's exactly God's desired response of us when we talk about responding to the good news that Jesus made the world and made you because he wants you, the response he wants is, Dada, Dada, and run. Run to him. That's what he wants. He's not looking for you. That, that kid's probably got snot all over. I don't know which kid it was. Snot, dirty diaper, running with a load. Dada, Dada. Do we, what father doesn't want to like pick up that child and hold him? Hold her. Love her. Him. This is what you were made for, to be embraced by the love of God. And that's where your healing will be. And we use all the things we've done, not good enough, all the things done to us, all the lies that were spoken into our life. And we believe that we can't run to God and say, Dada, right? But that's all that God wants to do. He wants to rip down. I think that's what he's doing. And his power is unleashed in the world to tear down those lies that would prevent us from saying, Dada, Yeah. If creation is good and created by a good God and God has made room for the other, and we're very other, very different. And he made room for the other that is us. We ought to make room for the other that is people, no matter where they are. Immigrants, people that are poorer than us or richer than us, people that are a different culture than us, people that have a different language than us, people that have a different background than us, people that are annoying. And even perhaps it says, Jesus radically says, he's so radically welcoming and generous. He says, how about you make room for your enemy? Love your enemy. And so, yes, a people made and welcomed in by a generous, radically welcoming God are a radically welcoming people even at great cost, a God who great costly loved us invites a people to be a people that love at great cost. I think this should be expanded to beyond people though too, because we see that God created all, all creation as an expression of his life and love. And he welcomes all things and all people. And so uh, I, I read a autobiography or not a biography about Mr. Rogers. Interesting. He was, was super cool revolutionary guy. That neighborhood was pretty uh, subversive, if you know what he was up to. But one point, 
you know, he believed in the nonviolent resistance of evil. And that it, as a follower of Jesus, he should not take arms. We shouldn't violently resist evil. And that, so he was a, a pacifist, a nonviolent resistor. And he believed that this extended to all creation. So he was a vegetarian because he believed that he ought to, there should be no violence done to any of God's creatures. And so that was a very challenging thing for me. Um, and I've been thinking about that, especially uh, in the way that we uh, produce our meat and, and kind of um, not so humanely kill our meat. So maybe there's, you know, I'm a hunter. You guys remember that, right? I got an elk. That was a humane way. Bam. You know, he was done. But uh, so maybe that's okay. But maybe the most ways I've just been wondering, do we do violence to creation? Um, I'm not making any pronouncements here. I'm still wrestling. I had a, I had chicken today, you know, I'm going to, I'm probably going to go to Wingstop later, you know, so I'm still wrestling with this lemon pepper on the meat, but I think we should challenge, challenge it. I'm not perfect. Okay. I'm not ready. Also, how about plants? My wife has 55 plants and counting in our, in our room, but how do we care for the earth, right? Make space for the other. Um, all right. So again, um, let's see. That's about, that's about, that's about it. Um, I love this little, uh, where did my quote go? Oh man, it left. Oh, well, that's okay. Yeah, it's gone. All right. It's all right. All right. Let me say this prayer as maybe Dov comes up and we respond in, in worship and we will say, uh, the apostles creed together as we will throughout this series. Um, remember, it's not that we fully understand it, that we're even fully certain of it, but we are saying, I put my trust, I'm willing to stake my life on these things and, and uh, view these truths to be the starting point of my exploration of who God is and what he's like. Um, I love this verse, and this speaks to God's hospitality made known in Jesus. Would you stand and, and perhaps even extend your arms like this? Let me say this prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, you spread out your arms of love on the hard wood of the cross that all might come within the reach of your saving embrace. And here's the prayer for us. So clothe us by your spirit that we, reaching forth our hands in love, may bring those who do not know you to the knowledge and love of you to the glory of your name, Lord. May we be a welcoming community, even at great cost to ourselves. May we uh, receive the welcome that you offer, that you have loved us at great cost and, and, and gladly so. You don't begrudge us. You're not like, hey, I died for you. You better love me. No, you're like, I died for you. Come, be with me. And may we have the same generous spirit as we receive your love, that we would extend your love, your kind, good love, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.